Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Protecting young Texans, but from who? Welcome to the Texas Take, the number one political podcast in the great state. I'm Scott Braddock, and he's Jeremy Wallace. You can find me at quorumreport.com, and Jeremy's work appears at houstonchronicle.com and expressnews.com down in San Antonio. Jeremy, can you hear the uh, the cough drop oh, yeah. I have going here? And I've also got, I'll tell you what's up, uh, I've also got the VIX uh, stick that I'm putting right in my nose to keep me clear during the show. You'll verify that's what I'm doing, right, Jeremy? It wasn't anything else. <laughs> yeah, so, sure. Just so just so people know. <laughs> yes, of course. I don't need anybody talking about something I might have done. Um, the allergies have just hit me so hard, Jeremy. Once again, I saw all the coverage uh, you know, in Central Texas newscasts earlier in the week about how the allergy season came on early and is really in full bloom again. And if you look at that uh, allergy report, uh, I think KXAN has the one that's the most convenient to look at. All the colors are lit up, so I'm just miserable. And I've got more than that over here, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go into my whole regimen for for purposes of the show. Just know that I'm dealing with that. I'm monitoring the Texas House, and we're doing the show all at the same time. This is quite an operation. Um, this week is the first six day work week for the legislature, at least for the House. You know, the Texas Senate still has not passed all thirty of Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick's priorities. They passed 29 of them, but he said they're going to wait for one of them to come over from the House. But he sent an email to reporters and supporters saying that they did 30 for 30, that they passed all the priorities. I'm just pointing that out because the Senate left before noon on Friday and they won't be back till Monday, but the House is working this afternoon on Saturday. Just making note of that. One of the things that the House did today was listen to the chairman of the General Investigating Committee, Andrew Murr, um, who has been looking into a couple of members of the House, actually. You know there were complaints against two members, one from Houston and one from North Texas. The one from North Texas is a guy named Brian Slayton who was accused of having sex with one of his interns and providing alcohol to her when she's 19 years old. Well, we came, uh, came to find out today that the investigation by the committee is over uh, and the findings of the committee were revealed by Chairman Murr on the floor of the House. We find that Representative Slayton has engaged in inappropriate sexual conduct with a subordinate. That behavior was induced by alcohol that Representative Slayton provided to that 19-year-old subordinate. Representative Slayton then acted systematically to influence that subordinate and multiple witnesses and obstruct the investigation into the matter to the detriment of both our chamber and those who work here. As you will read shortly, this committee unanimously recommends that the House discipline Representative Slayton by expelling him. Now, that sounded uh, historic to me, Jeremy. I can't remember, and folks that I was talking to who have been involved in the legislative process for 35, 40 years, none of them could remember the House ever 
kicking a member out, which is what they're going to do here. It looks like they're, they're poised to do that coming up this week uh, on Tuesday. Uh, Chairman Murr said that he would be asking the House to consider expelling Slayton uh, on May 9th. And again, that would be uh, this coming Tuesday. And I would imagine they'll have the support to do that. This is almost surreal, Jeremy. You had the chairman saying that at the front microphone with Slayton sitting at his desk on the House floor, and he's sitting there while the other members of the House are being handed copies of this report. It's a detailed report about what he is alleged to have done uh, with underage staff, and I say underage, uh, underage to be drinking, uh, that he provided them with a lot of alcohol on different occasions, that he did have sex with this young one, young woman uh, while she was drunk. That's what's alleged in the report. And I won't you know, dwell on it here. Uh, we'll see how this uh, all plays out. Uh, and I would remind people, this is not a court proceeding. Uh, this is a legislative proceeding. This is, um, you know, a chance for the legislature to do its own uh, punishment and policing of itself. Uh, it is a two thirds majority to get rid of a member to expel them. And the last time that happened, Jeremy, if I, if the information that I uh, got today is correct, and, and if I read it uh, correctly, uh, the last time it happened was almost a hundred years ago in 1927, a member of the house was expelled, but the information I'm going to have to research this because, well, you know, I'm just a dork for wanting to know all this stuff. But uh, in 1927, a man was expelled from the house. It didn't say why the info in the report didn't say why that happened. Uh, but I mentioned it off the top here to also point this out. Representative Slayton has been among the loudest voices in this state for cracking down on transgender people. LGBTQ people, for what reason? What's the reason that he and others always say? Well, he and others say they want to protect young people in this state, right? And we saw in the Texas House earlier this week, Democrats able to fight back against an anti-transgender uh, piece of legislation uh, twice. Uh, they were The Democrats were able to send that bill from the floor back down to committee. Now, basically, that just means there was some procedural issue uh, with the bill, and it can still come up for debate. People were asking me, well, does that mean that it's dead? It doesn't mean that. In fact, uh, it's probably on uh, on schedule, on track to be uh, debated once again, either Tuesday or Wednesday uh, of this coming week. This is the bill that we talked about previously that came over from the Texas Senate that has to do with gender-affirming care or what uh, conservatives in the legislature have called uh, genital mutilation and gender mutilation of children. Now, there were so many protesters at the Capitol, and I hadn't seen this before either, Jeremy, where all the protesters, both in the Texas House Gallery and out in the Rotunda, were cleared out of the place. Yeah, even DPS. the Rotunda. That's what's crazy. Yeah, right. The, the entire building, they were kicking them out. Now, the protest took several different forms. First, these protesters who support transgender children, uh, they were singing for peace. Then, of course, there has at some point in any one of these protests, there has to be a standoff between people on both sides of the issue. At some point, they unfurled a huge banner inside the Capitol in the rotunda that you mentioned, Jeremy, that read, let trans kids grow up. Here was their countdown to that moment. And they also took the protest inside the walls of the Texas House itself. Four, 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 
Now, those protesters were warned that they can't keep on doing that. Speaker Dade Phelan told them as much. He said that the gallery of the House, which is, of course, the the seats that are in the floor up above the House floor, that they would be completely cleared out if they did not behave themselves. The chair advises our guests that under the rules of the House, demonstrations or outbursts by visitors in the gallery are strictly prohibited. If there are additional demonstrations or outbursts in the gallery, the chair will order the sergeant of arms to clear the gallery under the House's constitutional authority to prevent obstructions of its proceedings. And I mean, Jeremy, it was not probably even a minute later that Phelan said they had to get out. Pursuant to the House constitutional authority to prevent obstruction of the proceedings, the chair orders the sergeant of arms to clear the gallery. The House was staying at ease until the gallery is cleared. Jeremy, this debate has been very emotional. Um, You and I both listened to a lot of the testimony in the Texas Senate as this was uh, playing out on that side uh, of the building. Uh, And you remember some of these folks coming in and talking about the, the fact that this kind of legislation would lead to deaths of young children. I remember listening to one of the um, one of the people offering uh, medical testimony on this uh, during one of those late night Senate hearings. Remember, the Senate State Affairs Committee uh, did a lot of late night work on this bill and a whole lot of others. These culture war issues as they're making their way through the through the legislative process. Uh, but one person testifying said, "If something like this passes, and this kind of quote unquote gender affirming care is not offered to certain children, they, they were asked what will happen if." if they don't have access to that care? And the answer, is, the answer was there will be dead children. Um, you know, that you'll have these kids uh, committing suicide. And this has been so nasty uh, in the Texas Senate, and we'll see what this uh, happens, or we'll see what happens when this plays out on the floor of the House. It was so nasty in the Senate uh, that there was an amendment offered to at least allow the kids who are already on gender-affirming care, they're, they're already receiving that care, to, to stay on it, uh, you know, uh, in the meantime, even if this law goes into effect. But that amendment was stripped right off at the behest of the Republican Party of Texas, Lieutenant Governor Patrick, and others. Yeah, and of course, well, this would affect, you know, millions of transgender children who live in Texas, right? No, as we've talked about on the show, there aren't millions of them, right? We're talking about a very small percentage of a percentage of, of kids who are being targeted on this issue. And like I bring that up to, to, to point out that like since 2017, at least, right? You know, you go back to the original bathroom bill fights. We keep making them come to the Capitol, you know, and see, you know, kind of an ugly side at times of Texas politics where like their rights to kind of, you know, just even be is under that microscope. Right. And so they're having to, like, I can't imagine how hard it is to even testify about what you've gone through and all that, but they've been doing it like over and over again you know from the bathroom bill war last session you know we had a lot of this going on this session it's been it feels like 24 7 like you know how do we go after transgender you know children to stop them from being transgender i guess is the the philosophy for the republicans but you're kind of left with this question of like you know you know there's a lot of problems in the state of texas we all do you know we love this state this thing is clearly a great state to live in but you know of all the problems that are out there this is a lot of time since 2017 we have been putting on this topic. And right. like it comes at the same week when I, I was reading this report from Forbes Advisor that shows that Texas is dead last in mental health uh, on almost every way you can measure mental health mm-hmm. care for a state. And it's not even close. Like We're like so far behind second place Mississippi. And you should never be so far behind Mississippi in anything. <laughs> no offense, you know, you – 
Mississippians who are listening to the show today, but <laughs> it's like, it stinks that we are so far behind on so many other issues, yet this is the 24-7 bandwidth. This is forcing these people to stand up, and thankfully they have people kind of rallying around them. Obviously, they alone cannot be doing this fight. Mm-hmm. They need help, and it's like and it's interesting just to hear that activation. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about last week. Sometimes mm-hmm. protests can kind of wake people up uh, and maybe you know help the Democrats you know, if they're going to fight these things, like do it for real and don't just kind of cave quickly. At least, you know, like these procedural maneuvers can only last for so long. They right. only have, like, when you're this outnumbered in the Texas legislature, the Democrats have so few options to, to derail anything, but at least they're giving it a shot to mm-hmm. like make this conversation go on longer and maybe like just provoke a, you know, maybe a deeper conversation not saying in the legislature, I doubt that's going to happen, but mm-hmm. I mean, just globally around the state going, wait, why are we doing all this again? It's like, should we step back and like ask the bigger question of like, okay, all this energy for this, while right. all these other things are kind of lingering. Yeah. You, you would think that we had every other problem figured out. It was spending so much time uh, on this. Um, and maybe what this uh, procedural uh, maneuvering by Democrats can, uh, can accomplish is at least, the House might go back and add the amendment that says that kids who are already receiving this kind of care can still get it, right? And, and I will remind the listeners that it was two Republican physicians who agreed that that should be in that bill. That was Donna Campbell, whose bill it is in the Senate, and Dr. Tom Oliverson, who's a medical doctor from Houston, uh, who is carrying the bill in the House. Now, you have talked previously, Jeremy, about where a lot of this came from, a lot of it that originated uh, in Florida with you know, folks pushing back against the transgender community, the specific deal with gender-affirming care. The way that Republicans have been talking about this at the Texas Capitol is so over the top. Let me give you some examples. Here's Representative Brian Harrison from the Waxahachie area rallying supporters of the bill at the Capitol. You're here to help encourage us to do the right thing, to do the common sense thing, the thing that quite frankly should have been done before now, which is ban child gender modification <laughs> in the state of Texas. the terminology of the left. They don't want to call this what it is. They want to call this something called gender-affirming care. Ladies and gentlemen, I have four children, all right? The oldest is eight years old. Let me tell you, if I affirmed even half of what my kids want, I'd be the worst parent in the United States of America. A little hard to hear there. Harrison said that he has an eight-year-old, and if he just allowed the kid to do whatever the kid wanted to do, then he'd be the worst parent in the history of the world. Uh, Representative Jeff Leach was on the radio in DFW talking to our friend Mark Davis um, on the Answer radio up there. And he said that the, uh, the House was going to pass this bill this past week. That didn't age very well. But listen to the language that Leach is using. And uh, Jeff Leach, by the way, is the chairman of the Judiciary Committee in the Texas House. So he's someone who has significant power uh, in the process. Listen to the language he's using about gender-affirming care for children. If you vote against this bill, you are essentially saying that it's okay, it's acceptable, and that the law should not stand in the way of a minor child being led like a lamb to the slaughter. That's, that's what we're talking about here, being led like a lamb to the slaughter. Children in Texas being slaughtered? Is that actually happening? Well, yes. Yes, it is. Good afternoon, and we're coming on the air because of an awful scene playing out today in Texas. An active shooter for a time at an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas. This is about 80 miles outside of San Antonio. 
There is word potentially multiple children have been killed. This happened at the Robb Elementary School in the Uvalde Consolidated Independence School District. Remember, we're talking about kids being slaughtered here. I, I believe that if you start to use language like slaughtered, then this is fair criticism. We care a lot about kids getting slaughtered, right? Remember, Uvalde native Matthew McConaughey speaking at the White House about how nine-year-old Maite Rodriguez was so badly mutilated. This is the word we keep hearing about uh, this transgender, gender-affirming care stuff. She was so badly mutilated that she could only be identified because she wore green converse that she drew a small red heart on. Maite wanted to be a marine biologist. She was already in contact with Corpus Christi University of A&M for her future college enrollment. Nine years old. Maite cared for the environment so strongly that when the city asked her mother if they could release some balloons into the sky in her memory, her mom said, oh no, Maite wouldn't want to litter. Maite wore green high-top converse with a heart she had hand-drawn on the right toe because they represented her love of nature. Camilla's got these shoes. Can you show these shoes, please? Wore these every day. Green converse with a heart on the right toe. These are the same green converse on her feet that turned out to be the only clear evidence that could identify her after the shooting. How about that? Mm -hmm. Now, dear listener, you might be saying maybe Republicans in the legislature haven't had a chance to do anything about gun violence. Maybe they haven't had enough time to consider it. Well, no, that would be incorrect. We're coming up on the one-year anniversary, right, of the shooting in Uvalde, and there have been chances on the floor of the Texas House and Senate to do something about this. Democrats have offered amendments on legislation trying to deal with gun violence. For example, here's Houston Democratic Representative Jarvis Johnson talking about uh, a gun bill that was on the floor of the House that has to do with people buying insurance or maybe being forced by government to have insurance if they have a gun and then they cause harm with it. Children are dying it's and we need to protect them. And stop with this partisan BS because we're not doing anything. We're hurting our we're hurting every Texan when we don't legislate properly because you're blowing me off because I don't have an R by my name. It is time to legislate children have died in this state. And you guys are sitting here joking and playing and thinking this is a joke. This is not a joke. So when it comes to guns, the kind of legislation that has been debated on the floor is what he was talking about there. It's a bill from Representative Kerry Isaac, who is a Republican. And what it would do, Jeremy, is prevent local governments from requiring insurance for people who buy guns. To your knowledge, Jeremy, is there any city and any local government that does that in Texas now? I can't think of a one that has even proposed that. Right. Um, here's Isaac defending her proposal under questioning from Representative Harold Dutton. It's, in Cal it's happening in California right now. Okay. And okay. I'm not sure what you mean by it's happening. What, what's happening in California? They're requiring people who have firearms to have insurance on their firearms. Oh, and I see. And, and you think that is a in contravention to the Second Amendment? It prevents some people from being able to exercise their Second Amendment right because they can't afford it. And, and, the bill, and it also creates an illegal gun registry. 
Okay, and, and all of those things that you're naming are in contravention to the Second Amendment. I don't understand your question. Say that again. I think her not understanding the question was the most truthful answer there. Um, it didn't get any less painful in listening to that debate, Jeremy. But I will say that the um, the representative uh, from south of Austin, uh, Ms. Isaac, she pointed out that there is one proposal in Texas to do something similar, uh, to make people buy insurance if they, if they have a gun. Uh, and that proposal is from uh, Senator Roland Gutierrez, uh, who represents... Uvalde as part of his district. Um, and we know, because we are keen observers of the Texas Senate, that Senator Gutierrez has passed so many bills at this point that she's probably right that his his proposal is a threat to the Second Amendment. No, wait, that's not right at all. Senator Gutierrez has been singled out by the lieutenant governor, by Dan Patrick, for speaking up about gun violence in Uvalde. He was told by the lieutenant governor that there may come a point where he's not even going to be recognized to speak on the floor of the Senate because he continues to bring up issues surrounding gun violence specific to what happened in Uvalde. And because of that, with that as the backdrop, Senator Gutierrez has passed exactly zero bills so far in the Texas Senate this year. So I'm not sure that there's a whole lot of threat in that direction, Jeremy, but there's certainly a threat to children in the other direction. Yeah, it, 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 it seems like a weird time for this, right? You know, I don't know. But, you know, that when she said San Jose, I was just like, you know, it was San Jose, California. I'm like, what? It's like, you know, it's like, why are we like, it's, it almost sounds like we're Californianizing our Texas legislature because we're passing bills about California now. Mm-hmm. It's like, what a weird kind of twist we've gotten into. And again, it's like, and, and this is only getting hit harder, I think, this week, because again, we lost another nine-year-old boy in texas right you know it's like as if i can't handle this enough uh like you know the the pain of you know seeing uvaldi every day in my head quite honestly looking at those children uh but also then to see that out in san jacinto county we had that shooting that included that family and one of the, the members of the family was just nine years old just a kid it's just like you know why are kids getting shot at nine years old it just this is like just excruciating to go through this again. Another reminder that whatever's happening, whatever we're doing in the state, it's like we've got to do something different to kind yeah. of stop like such you know young kids from getting killed for no reason. Yeah, no good reason at all. And we've seen this in Texas and across the rest of the country. So many reports of shootings that don't seem to have almost any any reason. Um, you know, all, all these uh, shootings where there's either some mistake or some misunderstanding, people are so quick to pull the trigger when maybe they should have had a conversation. Somebody goes to the wrong house. Somebody approaches the wrong car. Um, in this case in Cleveland, Texas, that you're talking about uh, where there were five people gunned down another mass shooting last weekend after we had already done the show. Um, and so many things happening this week that it would you could almost forget that that happened because it was almost a week ago where five people killed. The governor of Texas takes to social media and says that he's put out uh, money. He's putting out money for a reward um, for the capture of the person who killed all these illegal immigrants as if their legal status matters. And you saw that the Republican sheriff of San Jacinto County said that it didn't matter if the eight year old is legal or illegal or whatever. He said, this is someone who was shot dead in my community. And that's where my heart is. I'm pretty, I'm pretty close to 
to verbatim with that, he was saying that my heart is here in my community. This kid was killed in my community. It doesn't matter how he got here. And I saw where some folks said that it doesn't matter what the governor called them when he was putting out this, you know, his own version of an all points bulletin for people to give information. Because remember at the time when the governor said it, the perpetrator had not been caught. Law enforcement was trying to find this person. And when he said that he killed a bunch of illegal immigrants, I'm here to tell you, it's not everybody for sure, but there are some people who would hear, who would hear or see him say that and think, oh, well then who cares? There are absolutely people who would think that in, in, in this state and other places around the country, because that just speaks to, uh, it, it, I, and I had uh, a long time Republican uh, say to me that that's the most racist thing they ever heard the governor say or saw the governor put out on Twitter or anything else, because it dehumanizes the victims. And to your point, another eight-year-old gunned down. And for what? The people who got killed, the people who were at the next house, they just asked the guy to stop shooting his weapon in the front yard. He went back into his house to go get the rifle and come out and shoot all of them. Well, and, and maybe even worse, I can't believe I'm saying that, even worse, like the governor was wrong. It turned out one of the people definitely was not an illegal immigrant of any sort. You know, it's like she was a she was a citizen of this country at that point. You know, it's just like, and and we don't know the immigration status of everybody in there. I'm not sure he did either. It's like I don't he know didn't. where they got their information from. The, the, the you know the, the sheriff in uh, San Jacinto County wasn't confirming anybody's you know legal status. It's like I so he just pulled that out somewhere in the air, but at yeah. least he apologized. They did apologize sort of, you know, yeah. for a, a little bit, right? At least acknowledging that it was wrong. But my gosh, it's like these families are mourning. It's like people are burying family members and like, and it took a, dis- it just distracted from it. It's like, you know, I, I, you know, governor Abbott didn't really want to distract from, the families burying their family members, right? I, like, I know that, right? Like, right. there's no way he wanted to. And at least the statement kind of reflected that, and he mentioned that it, he's, he, they noticed it was a distraction. I, mm. I I give him credit for that because it was. It just was like, we don't need this right now. We don't need this in part of the middle of this conversation. If you're doing this manhunt, we're trying to find this, you know, man who murdered a child and family members for no reason. It's like, that's what the message was. Let's go get this guy no matter who, you know, he shot, right? Like, it, just, yes. it shouldn't it, matter who he shot. The, what matters is he shot somebody, you know, and we need to go find him. That should have been like the all out, you know, just go after it. Yes. And it, the polarization uh, that uh, was in the air after a shooting of five people was kind of unbelievable. I saw the Republican Party of Texas chairman challenging some folks on this and saying that, well, if the guy was not illegally in the country, then this wouldn't have happened. And he was pointing specifically to Senator Roland Gutierrez. He and Gutierrez got into it on Twitter. And Gutierrez is saying, well, why does this guy have an AR-15? You know, we should be able to keep that kind of a weapon from somebody who would do something like this. Um, The least we could do is have a red flag law, some policy along those lines. And Matt Rinaldi, the GOP chairman, says, well, you know, it's the open borders that you support. That's why the guy's here in the first place. Um, Well, okay. Well, my question would be, what about all the mass shootings that are carried out by people who are citizens? It it doesn't matter. The legal status of the shooter and of the victims doesn't matter. The relevant information is that you have a murderer on the loose, no matter what their legal status is. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this again. If the governor 
tells people that the victim, and look, I covered news in Houston for a decade. And it was often the case that you would have a news story about an undocumented person who had killed someone, who had committed some crime. And the fact that they were undocumented always ends up in the headline, right? It, it would say undocumented person does this, illegal immigrant does that. If a citizen commits murder, the headline never says American citizen murders a woman in Katy, ever. <laughs> it, and the legal status should be, I mean, it can be part of the story. I get it, but it's, it's a matter of emphasis, right? And, and, and I've never seen in a quarter century of doing news, I have never seen someone make it the headline that the victims were undocumented, right? And that, that's what's unbelievable here. Yeah. Now I know, I know the, I know what, what pushback I'm going to get on that uh, because I, I can anticipate these things. Well, Scott, what about when all those undocumented people were left in the backs of hot semis? What about when they were in the backs of those trailers? It's relevant information, but it shouldn't be the headline. I was at the uh, trial for, do you remember many years ago, um, the guy who left all of those people to die near Victoria, and it was 110 degrees, 113 or more inside that trailer. I was at the trial in Houston, the federal trial for the truck driver who left them there. And some of the testimony was to the effect that parents who were in the back of that 18-wheeler trailer, while they were being cooked alive, they were holding their kids and telling them they would be okay. And they died. That's what should matter. It shouldn't matter what their legal status is. We can work all that out. We can have an immigration debate, and there should be a real debate about that. But to call people who were killed, the first thing you do is call them illegal. That's wrong. I'm sorry. That's wrong. And I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm glad that he said something about it to kind of walk it back. But it kind of tells you where our politics are, that he, he jumps straight to saying that the victims, not the shooter, the victims are illegal immigrants. Yeah. And, and I think you hit on a really great point. Look, you know, I do believe there is a time and a place to have this discussion about who the shooter was and where he came from and talk about that legal status. And, and I'm, I think it's fair game for Republicans to talk about it being, look, you know, it's like this guy came into this country illegally and he killed these people. I get it. It's like, I know that conversation is going to come, you know, you know, you know, have at it. But can we wait, you know, for that conversation? You know, it's like you can talk about that, but you, like it certainly shouldn't be about the victims. Of, of the, the crime. You know, I think about like, remember when the El Paso shooting, another mass shooting where, you know, families were gunned down in a Walmart because they were shopping for back to school with their children. Again, detecting a theme here, children, guns, you know, Mexican, you know, Americans and Mexican heritage people. Well, guess, guess what? In this case, we actually had Mexican uh, nationals who were in that Walmart who were also shot. It's like, we didn't have some headline that says like seven uh, Americans and a handful of Mexicans are in there. It's like, right. no, it's like, they're just people. It's like, let's, let's not like differentiate. Like when you get a tragedy, like again, with families, particularly in children, it's like, it's okay to focus on the victims and find, you know, a solution <laughs> to what what's going on. In this case, the solution was finding that guy, you know, it's like, let's just focus on that just don't take the attention away from the victims. You know, it's like, I just don't get that part of it. Uh, and especially people who like in the law enforcement universe, it's like, we often hear, it's like, 
what about the victims? Take care of these victims of these crimes. You know, and this was a case where it just felt like the victims were actually secondary, you know, in the conversation. Mm -hmm. Once you started talking about immigration, like you wanted to make a case about the border on behalf of this eight or nine year old child who died. It's like, really? That's where you're going to make it? Give it some time. Let's let's breathe a little bit and then go like you hear it a lot from people on the gun control stuff, right? And where they go, oh, I can't believe we bring you know, gun control, you know, when these children were just shot, you know, it's like, well, why, why bring that up? Yeah, exactly. Like, and, and here we are. It's, like, it's, just, it's just driving me crazy. It's driving me crazy. The, you know, the, the common denominator, the Uvalde shooting and the shooting in East Texas was the weapon. Yes. Not legal status, the weapon. Right? Correct. So you would think. So you would think if we're going to argue all the time about transgender kids again, that we would have everything figured out around here. How does the Texas grid look for this summer? Utility officials in Texas say the power grid is ready for summer, but extreme heat waves could put it to the test. Leaders that run the grid say power generation has not kept pace with the booming population growth. This is expected to be the first summer that fossil fuel power sources like coal and natural gas will not be enough to supply peak energy demand across the state. Officials say the grid will lean heavily on wind and solar power. I find this fascinating. That's a report from uh, AccuWeather talking about what the uh, Public Utility Commission of Texas and the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, or COT, what they had to say earlier this week. Every year, Jeremy, they do a forecast uh, and they put together some scenarios for what the summer might look like. They've always done that. And it was, you know, before Winter Storm Uri, that was something that uh, you would do as a news story. And it was just kind of, you know, it's something that would just be there and, you know, just to kind of do it by rote. You know, it wasn't a big deal. But now everybody watches it all the time. And people go to that ERCOT website during the summer and they watch the the dials on the website. This was the key quote from the PUC chairman, Peter Lake. Uh, Quote, data shows for the first time that the peak demand for electricity this summer will exceed the amount we can generate from on-demand dispatchable power, so we will be relying on renewables to keep the lights on, close quote. Now, when we talk about dispatchable power, the easy way to think about that is just that you have a machine that you can flip the switch on and and electricity comes out, right? That's like a, that's a gas-fired plant or a coal plant, um, nuclear uh, any of those that, uh, that mo- this is mostly thermal uh, energy, but there is some thought that in the future, there are some renewable uh, ways of doing electricity that can be dispatchable as well. And uh, wind and solar at some point could be dispatchable if there was real investment in batteries to store the power, right? We don't have that right now. Right now, basically what we have is all these wind turbines. And if the wind doesn't blow, well, then you don't get electricity. Same thing for solar, right? When the sun goes down, Our risk goes up. That was another quote from Lake during a news conference this week. Um, And I think it's this is maybe not quite the story that some environmentalists might like, but it's also not a story that those who only want to see, you know, the old school way of doing electricity uh, done that probably they won't like this either. I think that what this speaks to is a need to have a robust fuel mix, right, which we've talked about here previously, all different types of electricity, which we have in Texas. We've been a pioneer in wind and solar, but of course we're also an oil and gas state, right? And we're not, we have some coal, but not like West Virginia, right? We're a natural gas state when it comes to, you know, producing electricity. This was the number that I found the most interesting, Jeremy. And again, I'm keeping with the theme of things that we can see happening right in front of our faces. And yet nothing is done about it by state leadership. 
even though almost, you know, most people have almost never even met a transgender person, but we're arguing about that for hours and hours and hours at the legislature. To your point, since 2017, we've been arguing at, at each other's throats about transgender people. Most folks either never met a transgender person or they don't know that they did. <laughs> That's a you great catch point. That, right? Okay. So, <laughs> so what about things that you can actually see happening right in front of you from the year 2008 to the year 2022? Texas on-demand dispatchable power grew 1.5%. All right, so the, the the power that you can just flip a switch and electricity comes out, that's, that's grown over that period by 1.5%, less than 2%. You want to guess how much, what, what, by what percentage population in Texas grew over that same period? I don't know the population off the top of my head, no. It's, the number's kind of shocking, 24%. Yeah. We have had population growth that is explosive, and that shouldn't surprise any of us here on the show or any of our listeners. They know that a thousand people move here every day. We can see it. And so there needs to be a bigger focus on infrastructure investment in this state in a variety of ways, right? Electricity, water, schools, you, you name it, roads. We need more of all of it. When pe- I've, I've heard folks at the Capitol say this often, a thousand people moving to Texas every day, they don't bring roads and water with them when they come. So we've got to plan for that. And you plan for electricity needs a decade in advance or two decades in advance. The same thing with roads. You don't build a road. People bitch about the uh, the big uh, toll road uh, out east of uh, Austin, the 130. They say, oh, well, you know, nobody, remember when they uh, opened that up, it wasn't that long after that the project technically went bankrupt because people weren't using the toll road, right? Uh, but you had the supporters of it say, listen, it'll do what we need it to do into the future because that's where we see future growth, right? And so you have to do that when you're talking about infrastructure. You don't plan for it now, uh, you know, for, for what's going to happen next week or what's going to happen two years from now. Lieutenant Governor Patrick has been running around since Winter Storm Uri saying we need more natural gas and he wants to, you know, put the, put the brakes on more uh, renewable energy sources. I would say we need all of the above and we need to be thinking about the year 2050 as we're doing it well and and i i'm going to be quoting somebody who sounds like uh some great guru on some mountaintop (laughs) but hold your hold your uh, applause for this but remember rick perry (laughs) rick perry deserves so much credit for actually helping make sure we got these transmission lines from you know the panhandle uh in out in west texas back to the power grid. So all that solar and wind power that is like actually really impressive what Texas has done. We've created a really good, healthy mix. Like the, right. one of the reasons our electric bills aren't nearly as bad as they could be is because solar and wind, which like it really has helped keep the prices down. And there was a time, Perry being a great example, and even Abbott last year, I was at an event with him where he was bragging about how great we're doing with wind power, a leader, not just in the state, but in the nation, you know, uh, you know, in, in the world. It's like we are mm. real wind generation capital. It's like, so we're doing a lot of good things. And like, you know, he said it at that, uh, the event I was at, I can't remember, I think it was a Chamber of Commerce event. It's like, mm. we want it all. We want to be uh, all of the above, like you just said. And Rick Perry was telling me almost the same exact thing when I was talking to him. He goes, like, there's more advances coming and we got to be ready for what's next and not so worried about what was, you know, there before. Like, there'll always be some sort of oil and gas component. But mm-hmm. man, if 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 Perry had said, no, we're not we're not putting this money into transmission lines, we're, we're, we're about oil here. That's all right. we're going to do. If he had been like that, 
where would we be as a state right now? It's like with all these people moving in, you know, solar kind of saved our bacon, uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, in the summer last year. It's like, right. you know, we watched that grid carefully, including on this program at times, you know, when we were recording and we, we saw that like it held up largely due to some days like solar really is, you know, a beast and the wind power is a beast and can really kind of power, you know, fill in for a lot of us, you know. And so so I think it's, it, I don't know where along the way that the Republicans, you know, at least some Republicans have been saying, no, no, we can only go this one way and let's punish solar and wind. It's like that philosophy seems to be counter to kind of some of the forward thinking. I can't, you know, some of the forward thinking of Rick Perry. I can't believe I said that in a sentence, <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> Perry and the elder statesman of the Texas Republican Party, John Cornyn, have both said a version of that many times that we need a, an all of the above approach to energy. And part of the PUC chairman's comments this week had to do with the fact that, look, when when the sun goes down on the hottest days in Texas, it's still hot for a while, right? I mean, it's, it'll still be hot at 30, 10 o'clock at night. And the solar energy is not going to work when the sun goes down, obviously. But as long as the wind is still blowing, we won't have blackouts or brownouts. And that's because of having all these different alternatives for electricity. But to have our population now have outstripped the amount of disp- quickly dispatchable energy, that should be a wake-up call for everybody on all this stuff and to stop being stupid about it. Like you're talking about, there was an amendment offered on the floor of the House this week on an incentives bill. You know, this is HB5. This is uh, has to do with uh, replacing what was called Chapter 313, which is uh, tax incentives for corporate re- relocations. It's been very controversial, and people on the left and right both hate it. But, there wa- and, but the uh, renewable versus uh, thermal energy, oil and gas energy, uh, debate that comes up in that uh, tax incentives deal uh, because the lieutenant governor is against any incentives for renewable projects. And this has been a huge, and I heard uh, Representative Rafael Anchia, uh, who didn't offer the amendment, but he was supporting it. He said, look, the the expansion of wind energy and renewable energy in this state has been probably the one of the biggest investments in rural Texas since rural electrification under the New Deal. I mean, the billions and billions of dollars that have been poured into our rural communities over the uh, renewables. And and in the amendment, all it would have done is said that if renewable energy sources can ever be dispatchable, that that you would have the ability to be able to just quickly turn a switch and electricity comes out of them. If that ever happens, and there's information to suggest it'll happen probably in the next four or five years, if that ever happens, then those could get tax incentives under this deal. And Republicans voted that down to the, and the, the reason for that is what you just said, because there is this sort of war on renewable energy, but I'll remind everybody, I'll tell everybody if they don't know that amendment was offered by a Republican. Where was he from? Amarillo out from the panhandle and out into West Texas where they have really benefited from all this. Yeah. And one of the, the images that are seared in my head, and there's lots of them throughout the Texas panhandle and out in West Texas, but you know, you're driving through Scurry County, Texas uh, on your way up into you know, Lubbock and Amarillo, and you're going to see like a rancher who, you know, again, ranchers, farmers, you know, they, they have their land there and they have those oil derricks or oil rigs still kind of pumping, the old jacks that you can think of, like they're rusty as heck, they're still operating. But next to them, they have wind turbines too. And so you have this land that is, you know, 
you know, they're making money off of the grazing. They're making money, you know, you know, off of the oil. They're making money off of the solar. It's like you can, or the wind in this case. And, you know, some of them have solar arrays too. And so you're like, wow, this is kind of like, it shows the, the, the adaptation of the citizenry well before the politics, right? You know, here these people are going, wait, we can, we can multitask this land. And it's kind of a beautiful thing when you kind of look at it and you see like, wow, it's like they're doing all of it. You know, those farmers out there, it's like, you know, renewables, oil, yeah, bring it all on. Like I'm going to make, you know, money off of this and stay in business with my primary industry, which is cattle or cotton. You know, it's like, it's like, this is actually a chance for them to continue to do what they do. And so when, the, when these bills go down or those pieces are taken out, it's like, it's kind of, it, it, I, I wonder what those folks are thinking. It's like, yeah. why are you voting against this thing that's helping me keep my business running ultimately yeah. in the end? And I think maybe it's just, maybe, maybe more people need to take a trip out to West Texas and talk to a few of those, you know, people who have both on their property and how they you know, think both of them mm-hmm. are helping them, you know, continue to do what they've been doing for generations, which is ranching and cotton, right. all of the above. Mm-hmm. They're harvesters. That's what, you know, the ranching and, and farmers, they, they're they there to, you know, use the land for what, for whatever it ends up being good for, right? Yep. As long as it's good for all the rest of us, that's what we, that's what we need. Um, Governor Abbott uh, in Houston got some star power uh, for his uh, voucher push, but he also got interrupted by some protesters. I'll tell you about it in just a second. I do want to thank everybody right now. Uh, with commitments, we have reached $20,000 raised uh, for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society uh, here in Central Texas. Uh, and folks have been stepping up with donations of, and Jeremy, you're going you're gonna to give me a hard time. A lot of those $25 donations, <laughs> the, I, I said, if you, if you, if you uh, just love to hate me, well, then you should give at least $25. So those came pouring in. If you, if you love me and Jeremy, do 20 right? If you, if you dislike Jeremy, I don't even want you listening to the show. All right. That, forget that. Uh, but you can, you can step up as well. Uh, this is the last month that we're doing this. There are three more weeks of this. Uh, scottbraddock.com is the link. Uh, you can see the link right at the top. Scottbraddock.com. It's just my name. Scottbraddock.com. Click right at the top and uh, you can make your donation. Thanks so much to everybody who's done that. Uh, what was this event in Houston? He had a, Abbott had a bunch of people there, uh, Jeremy, including who? Uh, a former heavyweight champion uh, right not not a former heavyweight george freaking foreman you know right. it's like you know and, it's like the, the the king you know i love george foreman uh uh and, and then we also have mattress mac also made an appearance so so foreman brought abbott out on stage i'd like to introduce you to the current super heavyweight champion of texas and the world the great governor greg abbott did foreman say anything about school vouchers, a school choice. He didn't really, uh, his intro was a lot shorter and he didn't really get into that specifically, okay. but Mattress Mac was more than willing to kind of fill in. <laughs> yeah. Let's listen to that. You know, people ask me all the time. They say, uh, Mattress Mac, you're 72 years old. How could you possibly, uh, work so much and sleep so little? It's easy. I got a great mattress. <laughs> But if you really want to know the truth, Governor, it's because I have so many competitors. When you have a competitor on every block and 10,000 competitors on the Internet, it makes you want to get up in the morning and go to work and delight more customers. And all we're talking about at school choice is giving some competition so the parents can make the right choice of where their kids need to go to school. I think that's the right thing for Texas. (laughs) 
Something I've noticed, Jeremy, in these rallies is the governor does get some help from folks like Mac or George Foreman. I think more people in rural Texas, uh, everybody knows who George Foreman is. In rural Texas, I don't know that a whole lot of people know who Mattress Mac is, uh, but I, I wonder what difference it's making with the people whose minds he actually needs to change on the issue to get the legislation passed. What, what, what's your thought after watching this? Yeah. And, and you and I have talked about this. Like he's still well short of what he needs in the Texas house. And, you know, you can see him. Okay. So maybe he's bringing some star power into Houston, maybe kind of aiming for a different audience to kind of get them fired up. Maybe he can pick off a few more Democrats who might be interested in some sort of school choice program uh, that would include a private voucher program. So, uh, but it, it all kind of fits into this one category. Like it's getting late quickly, <laughs> right? It gets late early, as uh, they say. And in this case, it's getting late. And Abbott is like, he's got to pull something, you know, I, and the way I put it in the newsletter, uh, you know, was that he has to pull a rabbit out of the hat. He doesn't have one of those, but he has George Foreman and Mattress Mac kind of mm-hmm. as that rabbit and hoping that that's going to make it. I'm not yeah. sure if that's going to be anywhere close to enough you know, with hmm. just a couple weeks left. As you get, he's got to pull off some kind of miracle right now. Uh, if he can pull this off and somehow get a vote in the House that mm-hmm. even looks remotely like a voucher bill, I, I, I'll be surprised right now. But but here he is. He's still pushing it. He must think he's doing something, right? He, he must have convinced you know George Foreman uh, uh, and – mattress mac that look you know this is worth your time we're almost there i just need one more push from you i just need one good big left hand (laughs) a little jab you know here and there a good joke from mattress mac and we're there you know it's like i'm just not sure i'm seeing it right now it'll be interesting to see does abbott do any more of these was that the last one or does he try to do one in these next couple weeks clearly nothing's gotten through the house committees you know, it's like right. there's nothing to kind of look at as a vehicle. It's going to have to be that Senate bill from Brandon Creighton that right, came over. That. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're going to have to dress that thing up and get it through somehow. Yeah, and that thing just creates problems uh, when it's trying to solve certain problems. I was talking to Republican members of the legislature this week who said that me- that thing is a mess. And some of those people that I was talking to are folks who support, quote, school choice. Um, you've seen, and publicly, you've seen some very conservative members of the House, like Briscoe Kane, as a chief example, no liberal, quite conservative, who was saying that it should be um, legislation that provides school choice for everybody, uh, the universal school choice, which I think even the lieutenant governor sort of acknowledges that the bill the Senate has passed doesn't really do that. I'm going to go out on a limb here, Jeremy, and say that I don't think... I don't think Mattress Mack and George Foreman have studied the House vote on vouchers from the budget the way I have and still keep in my I still keep the printout of it in my wallet because I kind of can't believe the way that it went down after the governor had poured so much of his political capital into trying to move the needle in the House and really didn't do it at all. Now, not everybody at that Houston event agreed with what Abbott is doing. He was at one point interrupted by some protesters in the room. We are grounded in Jesus. We're grounded in justice. You have got to go. Public schools matter. And say no to hate, and you really got to go. Grounded in Jesus. Grounded in Jesus. Grounded in Jesus. So there are dissenting voices everywhere. Abbott was also uh, back in Austin for something to honor the police at the law enforcement uh, officers memorial on the Capitol grounds the other day. That was on uh, Sunday, Jeremy. What was going on there? 
Yeah, uh, interesting event. Yeah, so on Sunday, it's like I go out to this you know memorial uh, for fallen officers, uh, where they're adding new names. You know, sadly, of officers we've lost over the last few years to this list, fifty-eight to be exact. Uh, and Abbott was one of the speakers. Uh, I just happened to be sitting with Kelly Willis, just hanging out with her yeah. <laughs> as she was preparing to sing a couple of songs that were very moving and touching. And Abbott came up to us. You know, I, I don't think he knew who she was, and I kind of introduce them, <laughs> which is kind of a weird. Yeah. Often as a journalist, you have to kind of facilitate conversations between people. There you go. There you go. And so, but, and what was interesting about it is that Abbott kind of underscored a, a key point in a story I have this weekend in the Houston Chronicle and the Express News about uh, the legacy of George Floyd. Uh, you remember, you know, we're, we're approaching that three year, uh, three years since he was killed. Uh, and in the days in, uh, weeks in, you know, even months afterwards, you heard a lot of people talking about, okay, we got to reform, you know, you know, the way police respond to these things, you know, get, get rid of these chokeholds and things like that. Even, even Republicans were saying that, but now what we've seen happen over these last two years has been this complete shift where the legislation has been more aimed, not at reforming the police of late, but more aimed at the protesters who took to the streets who took to the streets on behalf of George Floyd, right? And so now the legislation that, that Texas has been doing has been to go after people who, you know, disrupt the highway. You know, mm-hmm. if, if you block the highway, we're, we're, you know, we're going to make that a felony. You know, uh, we're going to give you know, protections to police if they use, you know, beanbag rounds mm-hmm. and it injures you. Uh, so they can't be sued like they were after, you know, the, you know, the protests, you know, that summer. And so a lot of stuff is suddenly happening on this issue. And I think, you know, at, yeah. at this memorial, you know, I was already kind of there, but, you know, and Abbott ends up, you know, telling you know, these police officers and these family members, like, again, just illustrating the point is like, we've passed right. laws to criminalize the conduct of the protesters who harm and disrupt law enforcement. He went right at that point. Yeah, let's, let's listen to what uh, Abbott had to say at the event. That's why we pass a law to criminalize the conduct of protesters who harm or disrupt law enforcement law enforcement officers in the line of duty. We will not tolerate that in the state of Texas. Go ahead, Jeremy. What was the rest of that like? Well, and, and, and you know, and you can imagine the reaction as I talk to people who are part of the Black Lives Matter movement. You know, Ashton you know, uh, P. Woods down in Houston, who's one of the co-founders of the group, he just said it flat out and as strongly as you could. I think we're in legislative hell. You know, it's like, uh, this is basically weaponizing our work against us, you know, and that's kind of what has happened. It's like in the future, uh, you know, we know these events are going to happen again, right? We, you know, it seems like every week there's some sort of shooting of, you know, somebody. Uh, and in this case, you know, he, like th- these guys worry that now, you know, when the protesters are out there, you better be aware of what's right. happening. Like, you know, if, if you're blocking a police car or if you look like you're going to block one, if you if you have some sort of anything that looks like a firework or a laser pointer, all these things, you're going to have to check, make sure you don't have those because you may be walking yourself right. right into a felony. Like the rules of protesting have changed a whole heck of a lot more than police reforms. Right. You know, so that's kind of this weird outgrowth of what's happened to George. His legacy is just something entirely different than what I think a lot of us thought it was going to mm-hmm. be three years ago, um, and it's just become something entirely new. What was the debate in the Senate that you were pointing to this week um, about Harris County elections and paper? Yeah, this, 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 
this is this one was amazing to me. It's like you know, I, look, you, we all have heard it by now. Like, there's a lot of legislation going through, uh, you know, the Texas House and Texas Senate aimed at Harris County and how they run elections. We get it. They they you know, things get a little dicey in Harris County. We all know that. And one of the things that happened last November, uh, and everybody in Houston knows this at this point. But if you you know live outside the uh, the Houston area, uh, you may not know that. So they ran out of paper. For, uh, for ballots in some of those areas, which caused delays. And so some people who were in line had to leave and go to other polling places that did have paper. And so that's created a whole hullabaloo, as you can imagine. And so, you know, this legislation that was on the floor from, you know, rep, uh, from Senator Mays Middleton, uh, uh, a Republican from Galveston, would allow uh, Governor Abbott's appointee, the Secretary of State, to call an entirely new election and overturn the results uh, in Harris County if they ever run out of paper again. Uh, no other county. No other right. county is in there. It was only Harris County that they're aiming at. Uh, and so, like, the governor will have the power in the future, if this thing becomes law, to actually call for an entirely new election if there's ever a race that's close enough, mm -hmm. like we just saw in November, when Lena Hildago had a really tight race to win her reelection. You could call a, like another election and dare the Democrats to come out for another vote and see if yeah, that number will change. Hold the election at a time when turnout will be different and when the political yep. uh, environment will be uh, different from what it was before both the candidates poured all of their resources into campaigns. Senator Boris Miles lit up Senator Middleton about the fact that this is, as you said, only targeting the Houston area. And for the lack of paper, we're going to give the Secretary of State authority to rerun a whole election in any county for which it happens in. Is that correct? Well, it's not any county. This is only Harris County. Oh, only Harris County. I forgot about that. That's right. It's only Harris County. So if it happens down in Montgomery County, if they run out of paper there, or if it happens in Galveston County, if they run out of paper there, this bill won't apply. If that happens in those counties, I assure you we'll be back here. We'll be uh, back here. We will be so back here looking it? at that and making sure that it doesn't happen anywhere else. But right now, look, only one only out of one. 254 got it wrong. Only one. That only doesn't one. seem kind of biased to you? It's the facts. Only one got it wrong. Only one got it wrong. But what's to, what's to say what's going to happen? We don't know what can happen in the future, though, do we? We don't. We don't. So instead of making it statewide right now, we're just going to pick on my county, little old Harris County, right? And Middleton says he's not unfairly targeting any specific community. I, I, don't, I don't think we're picking on anyone because this is such a basic thing. If you don't have ballot paper, you can't vote. Now, all this stuff about whether it's targeting Houston aside for just a second, even though it is. Senator Royce West, a Democrat from Dallas, said that the proposed law would give Governor Abbott unprecedented power really through his appointee to call for a whole new election and you know that would apply whether there was mm, a huge problem or maybe they didn't like the outcome or both right something that abbott simply even through an appointee cannot do right now you want to vest in a political appointee the ability to make a decision as to whether or not an election should be overturned and we held. Well, that correct? I, I would disagree about overturning. You're calling a new election, so voters get to vote again. You know, nobody, nobody's vote is 
being overturned, you get the opportunity to vote again. Pretty entertaining, Jeremy. Yeah, yeah, to get the opportunity to vote a second time, because that's what all voters want. They want to be able to take off more time from work to go do what they just did a second time, even though they just did it like a week or two ago. But there's a key point in in, in you know, what Royce uh, was saying, Rich West was saying, like uh, a big part of this is like currently if you do think there's a problem and that, you know, that shortage of paper, you know, affected the results, you can go to a court of law. And make that argument before judges in the judicial system to call for that new election. And if you're successful, albeit, what this bill does is shift that away. It's like, oh, if, you know, you can go to the judicial system, or you could just have, you know, a handful of, you know, people who are polled mm-hmm. uh, watchers, Republicans even, go to the governor and say, you know what, you know, I don't think we had enough paper at our precinct. That could be enough to start triggering. The governor to tell the secretary of state, hey, I think we can do this. I think we have enough people. So it's it, the rules of even just making the complaint and what's going to, you know, trigger the you know new mm-hmm. election is going to be is very loosey goosey in all this legislation. And that was a lot of the debate uh, with, with West and Miles as they kind of were questioning, you know, Middleton on this stuff. Like, how do you like, you know, it, it feels like, you know. In a court of law, you have to get over a certain hurdle to kind of make the case. This one just lowers the hurdle so low that, you know, <laughs> another reference to Mattress Mac, as he's fighting, you know, on that, you know, he's one of the people who've been fighting for the right. state to do something mm-hmm. about the election back in Harris County. He thinks that there was enough fraud to co- overturn those results and, you know, and what have you. It's like, so he's been pushing that again through legal channels, but they're not getting anywhere. Right. And so here they go through the other door, which is through the political process to get a new law that would now give Abbott that ability the next time this happens somewhere. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be Harris County because, you know, it's, look, things happen all the time in elections. <laughs> Somebody's going to run out of paper somewhere. And my question is, if it happens in Midland, Texas, are we going to have the same reaction? You know, will we be calling for a new election there? The law won't allow it. You know, it'll only say no. Sorry, just Harris County. I saw where someone uh, on Twitter was joking about how great it'll be to see Harris County elections administrators stage comical amounts of paper, giant, you know, lots of pallets of paper at every voting location, uh, and tweeting out the pictures of it just to make sure that no one can say that you know this went all wrong. And I want to add one thing to this, Jeremy. <clears throat> I am old enough to remember. And you are as well. When Republicans in this state were so upset about giving Governor Abbott more power to do more things, was this um, what within forty-eight? Well, within 20, 24 months ago, right within that time, the start of the pandemic in twenty twenty, when people were so pissed off about the governor's consolidation of power all through the pandemic. It's wild to think that it's, uh, you know, now 2023 and there's all these bills to give him more power, including this one, let him do anything he wants to. They were waging. And I say 24 months ago because they were waging a primary last year against him. Right. Within that time frame, they were waging a primary. He had three primary opponents. Were so upset about consolidation of power. 
in the governor's office. He's he's doing too many things unilaterally. Well, why don't we just give okay? The same bunch says, why don't we just give him the same power and more power to do anything he wants, including call for a completely new election based on bogus claims. Yeah. And the political scientists out there who are listening to this will like will will back me up on this, I think, where like, you know, Texas used to have kind of a weak governor, you know, kind of system. You know, Lieutenant Governor was often seen as the more powerful player, you know, in much of Texas history. But, you know, what we've seen really over these last I want to say twenty years, is like there's this more and more power has been shifted over the governor. And like to give again, just to you know, again, the precedent setting nature of this is what kind of really strikes you pretty hard when you realize like, okay, if you do this once, you're going to do it again. You're going to be able to add other things. Today, it's about the paper ballot. Next time, it'll be well, mm-hmm. we don't think you had enough precincts open, and so now we want a new election for that too. It's like you can amending that you know law will only be easier down the road. And so it's the precedent setting nature of this. I think that kind of strikes at like. This, this nervousness, I think, for a lot of people uh, that we, if you start down this road, you're opening up a whole can of worms. And, and here the thing is, is like, I know this is hard for people to understand this, but there is no guarantee the governor will always be Republican. <laughs> there was a point when we were all mm-hmm. sitting around in the state of Texas and it was always Democrats, right? And it all switched over. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, you know, time happens, right? You know, things change, you know, our population is shifting, you know, we're a majority minority state now. There's all kinds of things that are happening that are going to influence future elections. And they might be giving a Democrat massive amounts of power in the future. And I'm not sure if they're all kind of taking notes. <laughs> it's great when your guy and your team's in office, but if you change the rules, like just remember, someday you're not going to be and somebody else is going to be able to use that rule to their advantage. Right. The senior senator from Texas is locked in, and the junior senator from Texas has an election coming up. Does he have any opponents, Jeremy? Oh, he does now. Yes. So the announcement this week from Dallas Congressman Colin Allred. Did it catch everybody by surprise? I don't think so. I think we all, yeah, no, that, th- this yeah, has been about, you know. Everyone kind of knew that he was yeah. going to run. I wonder if our listeners in Houston even know who Colin Allred is. Do you think our listeners in San Antonio know who Colin Allred is? Not nearly. Probably yeah. not. I, right, right. Do you, here's, here's an even more telling question. Do you think people in Fort Worth know who Colin Allred is? <laughs> Good question. Probably not. Probably not, right? And I was trying to explain this to some folks this week. I saw where – I'm going to leave out the person's name. But a uh, a correspondent for one of the big networks had reported that you know, Colin Allred is getting into the, into the race for U.S. Senate against Cruz. And that folks in Texas so – this is somebody who's based in Washington. Folks in Texas had told this – national news correspondent that um, Colin Allred is someone who's just as dynamic as Beto (laughs) O'Rourke. Would that assessment surprise you, Jeremy? Yes, that would be a definitely not an assessment I would make. (laughs) I'm not casting judgment here, but I want you to hear from Allred's announcement. He put out that everybody just announces in an online video now, right? When they announce for any office and nobody does the event first. It's always an online video first. And here's what Congressman Allred's announcement sounded like, part of it sounded like, uh, earlier this week. 
When I left the NFL, I thought my days of putting people on the ground were over. Then, January 6th happened. I remember hearing the glass break and the shouts coming closer. I texted my wife, whatever happens, I love you. Then I took off my jacket and got ready to take on anyone who came through that door. And Ted Cruz, he cheered on the mob. We will not go quietly into the night. It's a good ad to start the uh, campaign. Um, We have seen and talked about it last week that State Senator Gutierrez, who we mentioned earlier, Roland Gutierrez, is probably looking at a run for the same seat. So we may have a Democratic primary for this uh, for this Senate seat, which I continue to think that Democrats in Texas probably need spirited primaries to figure out who they are as a party. Right? It's it's, a, it's one of those things. Are they more left wing? Are they more uh, more middle of the road? And who ends up? And I hate using this terminology because it's what national pundits say all the time. But who ends up in what lane? You know, who's the moderate? Who's the liberal? Whatever. Who's more aggressive? Who's more interesting? I would rather use terms like that. Who's more interesting? Who's going to connect with voters? I made this assessment earlier in the week when I was asked about Allred's candidacy, and I shared this information with that national news correspondent, by the way, Jeremy. It might be that more people around the state know who Roland Gutierrez is because he's been on television nationally talking about Uvalde for a year since it happened. And he's been on all those big broadcasts, ABC, CBS, CNN, MSNBC, all the rest, which is sort of a, you know, to be on MSNBC is sort of the Democratic version of what our Republican office holders do by going on Fox News Channel. It doesn't just get them on nationally on TV. It gets them on in every market in Texas as well. And so Gutierrez has kind of gotten the Democratic version of that. So we'll see what happens here. But here's the main thing that I would say about challenging Cruz. I'm not sure, and I've been proven wrong on this before, there's always some narrative that gets spun for Democrats to give money to candidates in Texas. I'm not sure what the magnet is for a Democrat running for U.S. Senate in Texas to get national cash for that campaign. How are they going to do that? How are they going to convince national donors, big money donors, to give money to Gutierrez or or Colin Allred or anybody else to run against Ted Cruz when if you look at the Senate map across the country – it would seem to me that the Democratic Party has a lot of other priorities trying to take other Senate seats or defend the ones that they have. What do you think? Yeah, I, uh, you know, a couple of thoughts on this. You know, first, uh, the idea of a primary. I think the Democrats need that. You know, it's like you need a primary, like you said. I think, especially since you're not going to know who these people are, right? You need them to have more time campaigning, anyhow. He who campaigns best wins, and then thus that person is a little bit more seasoned going in against Ted Cruz, who we know is, you know, obviously knows how to do this at this point. So you're going to need somebody with some some experience. But here's three things that are good about what with what Colin uh, Allred is doing. One, uh, like he's starting early. That's a big deal. Right, you better start early if you're going to try take out a can. I cannot, um, I can't tell you how many times I've heard Democrats try to announce a campaign within a year of running in right. the election, like announcing in December you're going to be yeah. able to take out somebody who has a decade or more of you know public name recognition, right? Yeah, and they announce right before the primary. Yeah, at least Colin Allred is going early, right? You know, it's it's like and you know getting his biography out there. 
uh, as soon as you can and start building on it. And like, and so I, I do take a little, like, I have a little bit of flashback here and it's like, I know it's not the same, but like, look in 2017, there were a whole lot of Texans who did not know what a Beto O'Rourke was. You know, it's just like, you know, we still did not know what was going on there. It's like he was still early in the process. Sure, he had that one cross-country trip, but, you know, most people in Texas couldn't have told you who the heck the congressman in El Paso was. It's like he was right. he was relatively unknown. And so, like, but, but again, the lesson I think he paid for de- Democrats is sitting there, right? You know, get out there early. Start making a name for yourself as much as you can, you know, knowing that – and you better be ready to work. You're going to have to work the state. The reason his race was close is because he worked like like hell every day to try to get One people reason. to know who mm-hmm. he was. Oliver's going to have yeah. to do the same thing. Roland Gutierrez is going to have to do the same thing. There is right. no name recognition for any Democrat in the state who would take on Ted Cruz. Right now. There's not a soul outside of Beto O'Rourke that anybody knows. It's like, it's not a fault of the Democrats. It's just the way people are busy. It's like, we don't keep notes on every you know, member of Congress right. from every corner of the state. We don't know that. And Colin Allred, you know, at least has that going. Like, we're like, okay, start early, take some notes here, pay attention to how to run a good campaign. He clearly ran a good campaign to win his congressional seat. It was a very competitive race and he was able to pull yep. that off. Uh, so like, he knows how to kind of, I think, work within the spotlight uh, so I think there's some good things in there, but like you said, it's like, man, it, like what will be the issue down the road? We don't know. Right. We have no idea. I think yeah, if you've heard, I've said this a hundred year, hundred times on this show, but just <laughs> like a year in Texas politics is a lifetime. We have no idea what will be happening at this point next year. It's like, and things can change pretty quickly. Ask Ted Cruz. Like they went yeah. from thinking they were in an easy race to running around the state and warning their people we're down to one point. And we have some guy that nobody's ever heard of who has seventy nine right. million dollars. We need help. It's like you just never know when the mood is gonna catch it right. But see, here's what Colin Allery doesn't have. That's gonna be the biggest challenge, I think. Back in twenty eighteen, what uh Betro Rourke had, he had probably thirty-five competitive congressional districts. You know, in the state of Texas, there was a live body, a good person in every one of these races. So if all hell broke loose, you actually at least had a viable option if there was a wave election cycle. That is not, you know, in this case, Colin Allred will be the only thing. If he's the nominee, he will be the top of the ticket. Uh, And will the Democrats have that same thing down the party, uh, down the you know the ballot, where they have enough people running for Congress, good people running for Congress, who can make a message and get that momentum going. That is what helped Beto close that gap so much, was that he That's had twenty other Democrats running around like Lizzie Fletcher trying to help get you know, you know voters out. Colin Allred needs that too. He can't do it all as a statewide candidate. He needs support from the Democrats. Right. So in twenty twenty four. He will not be the top of the ticket. The top of the ticket will be the presidency. Oh, well, right? of course, yeah. And yeah. so, well, 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 well. Let me make a point about this. I mean, I'm not, I'm not arguing with you, but, but let me make a point about this. You're right about all those congressional races that were in play, and 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 in 2018, there was so much uh, money coming in from Democrats for those congressional races. It really made um, the the environment very different from what we had seen previously. I do agree with Senator John Cornyn on this again, the elder statesman of the Texas GOP, that the three big reasons that Cruz had such a big challenge in 18 
were Cruz himself being unpopular, even with some Republicans. You had this phenom in Beto just kind of come out of nowhere, right? And it's kind of set the political world on fire. And I think his moment has passed on that. So somebody's going to tell me that I'm wrong, but I think it's over with. You can't make a, I'm going to say this, my publisher has said it, I'll credit him with it. Beto has now tried to make a good first impression three times. It hasn't worked out. So you had, you had those two things, but the third thing was you had Donald Trump as the backdrop for 2018. And if Donald Trump is the nominee for the presidency next year on the Republican side, that is the worst thing that could happen for Cruz. Yes. Because it puts two it puts two of those things that made 2018 so competitive, it puts two of those things right in contention. And then the last thing that kind of comes, the, the last thing that would be part of that mix is what you're talking about, which is to have a Democrat actually get out there, campaign for a full year, put energy into it, figure out how to raise money. And all of that because running for statewide office in this state is like running for the presidency. You need millions of dollars. There's all of these media markets. You've got to be all over the place. And I'm not saying that you have to travel to every one of the 254 counties. I think that's kind of a gimmick, but it does, you know, I mean, it does do something, right? It certainly helped create energy for Beto in that first race. But I think if you get all three of those elements, Cruz has to take this way more seriously than than he is right now. This week, he just said, well, who cares about Colin Allred? He's a nobody. I'm not worried about it. Well, and that's probably the smart play on his part. You know, it's like, like you said, like Allred's going to have a ton of work to do. Uh, or again, if it's Roland Gutierrez, or who, who knows who else? I've had heard so many names kicked around as potential candidates. You know, we'll see kind of what happens by the time we get to the primary. We're almost a year away from that primary. So uh, mm-hmm. we got a long way to sort that out. But who, whoever is a Democratic nominee, they have got to figure out how to eat better unlock the votes in Harris County, in the black community specifically, and somebody who can do better on the border. You know, it's like those were the two areas that like, you know, Beto did better in Harris County than a lot of Democrats had prior prior to that. But the border just wasn't very good. It's like he still struggled despite being the quote border Democrat, you know, who could relate Mm -hmm. to people like his numbers were worse along the border than Hillary Clinton's were when she ran for the presidency. And so he has work to do. Like he's got to like, you know, Allred or Gutierrez or anybody he's going to have to figure out like, how do we kind of reharness this stuff? And so there's a lot of work. Again, I give them credit for at least starting early. Like, do not wait. You know, it's like if you think you're running for Congress and are going to win and take out an incumbent, it's going to cost you mm-hmm. $2 million immediately for a House race, like for a U.S. Mm-hmm. House race. So you just, you got to be ready to, you know, get going right now. Like Colin Allred better be raising a ton of money at this very minute. Right now, he should be on the phone somewhere asking for somebody for money if he thinks he has any yeah. shot. If he's not doing that, right, and I, he's out. <laughs> yeah, and I saw they announced, I think, in the first 24 or 48 hours, he had raised $2 million, something like that, which is not bad, but he's going to need a whole lot more. Is that enough show? I think it is. Yep. I think this we've a, filled up the tank. This is quite an, quite an addition for a Saturday. And thank, thanks to everybody for waiting. I had, you know, I let everybody know on social media that they were going to have to wait until Saturday for the show. And you would have thought I, you know, insulted their mama or something. A lot of people want their show on Friday evening. Um, However you listen to the show, hit the subscribe button. If there is the option to automatically download the show, that's what you want to do. So it's right on your phone when you go to it and you don't have to do anything else. Right, Brandon? That's what you want to do? Give me the thumbs up. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much to everybody who has uh, donated so far to LLS here in uh, Central Texas, the Leukemia Lymphoma Society. Every dollar helps. If you can only give a dollar. 
It's fine. ScottBraddock.com. Subscribe to QuorumReport.com, HoustonChronicle.com. We'll see you next time.